Beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today we hear about Rowan's spiritual journey. I got to know Rowan about three or four years ago through the rooms of 12-step fellowships. I somehow just felt a connection with him, but due to us living in different regions, we hardly ever ran into each other. It was only at the recent fellowship convention that I managed to have a decent conversation with him. When he told me that he listens to podcasts, it was just obvious that I had to have him on Meet Me in the Field. As I hardly knew anything about Rowan, I was excited to hear about his journey. I was not disappointed at all. He's an interesting young man with a sharp wit and a great sense of humor. It was while I was editing our conversation that I again realized just how much I love a decent conversation with an interesting person. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There's also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on The First Layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. I really enjoyed my time spent with Rowan. I'm sure you are going to as well. Sit back and enjoy. Good morning, Rowan. God, we sat chatting so much that we nearly, yeah, <laughs> nearly was, forgot to do the recording. How are you doing? I was wondering if we were on. <laughs> no, we are now officially on. Welcome to Meet Me in the Field. Thank you so much for coming through and talking to me. Cool. Thanks for asking me. When you said you had an exam tomorrow, that's why I said come through Wednesday, because mm. I thought you were writing exam. Yeah. You look so young. How old are you? I am young. I'm 26. 26? Yes. 26 yeah. and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that is so important. Uh, yeah. I, I think once you reach 13, you can drop the halves. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> you look really young, but you are lecturing as well. How often so are I'm, you being confused as a student? I'm, so I'm not lecturing, I'm teaching. And, and that, okay. in, that includes running some seminars which are put together by myself and then I choose the assessments and the material. Okay. I'm um, not lecturing. How often am I confused with the student? I don't think enough about it. I mean, I'm just there. <laughs> and I am I'm a student as well. Yes. So okay. I'm both studying and doing that work. So you told me earlier that there was a master's thesis. Yes. And is there going to be a PhD? Uh, I'm going to apply for one. Are you serious? Ideally, I would go want big to or go, go home. Yeah, ideally I'd want to go overseas oh. because the programs are fully funded. They're more rigorous, specifically in North America. Okay. Uh, so that's where you're aiming, North I, America. Yeah, definitely. Okay. But I, I always wonder, like, as a 26-year-old, I have, spons- have sponsees, right? Yeah. And I have people who ask me what they should do in situations who are, I mean, in some cases, nearly twice my age. And I'm like, I, I often sit there and I'm like, why? why? I mean, you're really <laughs> fucked if you're asking me what you <laughs> should do. You know? Are you, you? So it's, it's just funny. You have a voice, but you don't know whether you should use it in that situation. <laughs> I think there are some things that I will say. And there are okay. some things that I will say because I've got experience mm. with them. Yeah. Um, but there are other things that I say, go speak to my sponsor, you know, <laughs> go speak to that person. Because I know, I, I, know, I know people who have experience in different areas. Yes. And, and so 
I mean, it partly as a result of, you know, uh, going through a 12-step process and then coming to an understanding of my limitations as much as I possibly yeah. can and then recognizing other people have great experience yes. to lean on. It's part of a huge process of knowing ourselves when we know what we know and know what we don't know. Yeah. And to be okay to express that. Yeah. The important thing is here, in a way we, I won't say we take responsibility for somebody else's lives, but we, we know that we play a huge part mm, in somebody absolutely. else's life. So, so it's a responsible thing. Yeah, absolutely. I still, when, especially when clients walk out here, mm. think, shit, did I say the right thing? Mm-hmm. <sighs> and normally before I see a client pray, Mm. just ask my eye about to guide me mm. so afterwards I always think but I was guided in that direction mm. so it came out for a reason <laughs> so 26 year old and you're Catonian uh, yes I am I, I, I've well I was born in Port Elizabeth I moved here the when friendly I was, city <laughs> when I was two okay <laughs> so you never experienced the friendliness yeah no I, I, I've never experienced Port Elizabeth I have, I've never experienced any other South African city past the age of 13 okay so most of my adolescent life and adult life has been in Cape Town I did spend three years living in Oxford in the UK serious three and a half years from 2008 to 2010 okay yeah studying there 2007 no, my mother was studying there, and then I finished my schooling there. Oh, fantastic. So it was a very Oxford, it was a great what a experience. fabulous place to yes, be. yeah. Is that where your love for English was, was cemented, if no, I can put it that way? That was my grandmother, I think. My grandmother, she passed away 2004, and uh, she was a teacher, as my grandfather was a teacher. Actually, my grandfather was principal at various times okay. in Grahamstown at some schools there. My grandmother, she taught me, read to me, and installed both the love of Jesus and uh, literature into me. Although I don't love Jesus. <laughs> but she tried to drum she, that into She tried her best. You know, did. Okay, so grandmother played a huge role in your life. Mm. What did mother study? My parents are both medical doctors. Okay. Most of their work is in public health uh, and various areas of public health but that's what they studied okay yeah and did you consider going to medicine at all i didn't consider going to university because i was very high most of the time in school (laughs) (laughs) so you were high enough (laughs) you didn't didn't need the social status of dr in front of your name because you were already a degree (laughs) so did did you you start using at a young age yeah i started smoking weed when i was uh, for the first time, probably when I was 12 and drinking 11, and it just kind of continued and escalated from there. So I remember I went to England, and there was a three-week period where I said, okay, I wasn't going to smoke, I wasn't going to drink, and then obviously I found somebody to smoke and drink with. You know? <laughs> As invariably happens. But it's strange, like, even then I was like, okay, I know this is not good for me, I should probably stop. But, I mean, I was just like, I was 15, you know? Yeah. I was enjoying myself. I was 15 years old. I just, I didn't understand yet at that point um, how much smoking and drinking had affected my life. And then obviously it snowballed over the next mm. couple of years. Have you seen those brain scans of the normal brain versus the dope addict's brain? <laughs> no, I have Oh not. my God, it, the dope addict's brain looks like a fucking Swiss cheese. There's these holes. <laughs> yeah. And then you see the coke addict's brain as well. It's just as bad. So I, I wonder what my brain really looks it like. Interesting. <laughs> 
the fact that I still have, I have a very, very bad memory, but the fact mm. that I still remember something is a fucking miracle. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I think also being on the internet all the time has not helped my memory. Ah, uh, digital cocaine. Just, yeah, like you said earlier, I am a millennial, and I think we, we had the 56K dial-up was the first experience of the internet mm. at my house. So going from there to when I was in England, just having being able to download a full movie in 10 minutes. <laughs> you know? Heaven, I'm in heaven. <laughs> I've grown up with the internet very yeah. much. And I think it's definitely had an effect on my the way I think. Yeah. Both positive and negative. Negative possibly in terms of constantly looking for things to ping my attention span. Okay. It's quite amazing, the modern website. Yeah. How that freaks me out. I hate these busy websites that people have. I can't concentrate on everything that happens on the page at the same time. If you look at my website, my professional one, it is straightforward, no moving parts, no different screens. It's just straightforward. And that was the first thing when I said to my husband, he said, how do you want your site to look? I said, not busy. Because <laughs> the minute I go to the website and there's too much happening, I close it because I don't know where to concentrate. The busy ones are for me with my squirrel brain. <laughs> so you just scan all over the bloody place. Yeah, yeah. So how did you find the difference between the education system in South Africa at the age of 15 mm-hmm. and, and the UK? Uh, there's a lot more. There was a lot more order here. I went to a boys' school, a uh, traditional boys' school, and there was a lot of order there. You wear blazers, your ties, you don't take your tie. Like, just basic things, like the uniform. Whereas in England, the first school I went to did have a sport-like uniform. But, I mean, school started at 9. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> ended at 3. There were large breaks. I went there and did my GCSEs while I was there, which is the qualification that people can do and then leave school. Okay. Uh, and then you can, if you want, do an additional two years of study. Because that you do at 16, am I correct? Yes. Okay. And then the additional two years of study will enable you to go into university. Okay. For the most part. And you did that? I did that as okay. well, yes. Um, but the GCSEs, uh, it was it was at a smaller school. It was a private school there. And I, did, I mean, I did really well. And the teachers would often remark upon my behavior as exemplary. Because of the background that I yeah. come from, in terms of schooling, we uh, called the teachers by their first names. Ah. So it was a very progressive okay. type of school. Um, and obviously that flattens the hierarchy of yes. it as well. I mean, it's weird going from a, an environment where everybody who's older than 30 is, or older than 35 is potentially uncle or aunt. Right, <laughs> and then you go to an environment where you're calling someone who's just about to retire, Mike. Like, yeah, it's a very strange. So you mentioned that grandma yeah. tried to instilled one thing successfully in you and the other one not. Yeah. <laughs> so I gathered not, that. Uh, so she was she was successful on both counts. Uh huh. Just one of them has lasted longer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So you smoked and drank the other one away. Uh, I think I found that sex was pleasurable and then I had to kind of weigh out the earthly pleasures <laughs> of sexuality versus the heavenly uh, promise. You know? 
<laughs> so what they actually referred to is instant gratification. Exactly. You were just not willing to wait for heaven. No, I was <laughs> as, not. As easy as that. You found heaven on earth. I barely learned recently that there are long-term things to consider. <laughs> you know, this is a recent development for me. So back then I was just like... I also didn't like the guilt that came with trying to hold to a religious belief. Yeah. Let's say this. The, the religion that I experienced both from my mother's side and my grandmother's side through my father uh, because that line was Anglican and the line from my mother was a home church. In very many ways, it's similar to uh, 12-step fellowships where it's kind of egalitarian. Of course, you can only kind of share your experience uh, if you've been baptized. Okay. Um, But they meet in homes. They... uh, Every quarter have many conventions and every year have a convention where the preachers or the missionaries uh, that go around spreading their version of the gospel come and kind of take the convention. But otherwise it's the head of the house whose home it's been hosted in and they kind of facilitate the, uh, the agenda, whether it's a specific passage in the Bible, hymns, etc., and um, it is fucking boring, right? <laughs> so it's so boring. And then I go to my father's church. It's an Anglican church. They've got guitars. You know, the preacher is uh, golf shirt, jeans, mm. sneakers. Seems like a cool guy. And they have Sunday school. So I get to essentially hang out with children my age yeah. and play. I did a lot of Bible study as a kid. I read the Bible a lot. I prayed a lot. I gave my life to Jesus in... I mean, I can't ex- remember the exact details. I remember the feeling of euphoria that came with saying, take my life. Yeah. Take control of my life. That sort of sense of being filled up with a, uh, an energy that I hadn't felt before, to me, was a, an exceptionally powerful experience. Okay. How old were you about now? Eleven. Okay, so that's late primary school. Yeah, I mean, but I I, there's several things that happened uh, at that time. I moved from a small Christian school to the boys' school. Okay, and that was an adjustment. I can't remember if it was six months before, six months later. I moved from I moved houses. Okay, my grandmother got ill at that time, and she passed away three years later. So. I mean, my math isn't that great, so... Anyway, um, and so... I'm with you on that one. (laughs) There there was a lot happening there. Discovering masturbation, for instance. Um, Discovering... uh, Security blanket. Yes. I mean, discovering sexuality. Like, I, I definitely think, for me, my early experiences of sexuality were both exploration and curiosity... As well as uh, escape. Okay. Because of my understanding of the purpose of any type of sexuality, as taught to me through my religion, both from both sides of those traditions, there was a lot of guilt involved. And I'm uh, shaking my head rigorously. A lot of, a lot of shame involved. <laughs> Absolutely. And secrecy. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on all of those. But, I mean, th- that's the thing. When you find something that it feels good, well, for me, I found it felt good. Then my feelings about it uh, made it difficult. And so I had to split myself. Yeah. 
because I'm, I'm experiencing, and I couldn't reconcile both the feeling of religious guilt and the good feelings of, yes. of sexuality, and also the like the burgeoning curiosity. And my education from sexuality came from other boys my age or a little bit older, which included accessing pornography, and they received that from other people. Yeah. You know, so I definitely know that secrecy and risk is something that is fun. Yeah. You know, and and for me, a lot of my sexual behavior over the last uh, 10, 15 years has been uh, secretive and risky at times. Yes. You know, and, and upping the risk is, is also upping the excitement. Yeah. And I can identify with the secrecy thing, definitely. Yeah. Ugh. This little gay heart hiding everything I did because I was so afraid somebody was going to find it yeah. out. Oh my God, it was awful. I mean, so, uh, for me, I'm not really sure, and I've, always, I've tried to figure out, was it, it doesn't really matter, I mean, it's a, more of an academic question. The fact is, definitely having some sexual curiosity for both women and men. And so, the fear of anyone finding out any sexuality, but specifically any homosexuality, was definitely... A defining factor in my in the way I express my sexuality over the next ten years. Okay. Again, in secrecy. So, my favorite song was Bohemian Rhapsody. Ah. Bohemian Rhapsody, and uh, my grandmother would say, "Don't listen to that that devil music." Because because at the time, and, and I'm, it was a resurgence of what happened twenty years earlier. If you play the song backwards, you know, <laughs> like all that stuff, it, it, was, it was just keeps recurring. <laughs> Every time the church like feels like it's losing hold, it just recycles yes. these old narratives. Right? Were you old enough to remember an Afrikaans singer called Place Bridges? No, I've only heard about him no. subsequently. We always joked and said if you play his songs backwards, you get Poiki Coast Receptor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at what at what stage did the break happen for you? Teenage years, it sounds? Yeah, early. Early teenagers. 11, 12. Okay. And then my grandmother passed away and I was very uh, resentful. I, was, I mean, my grandmother played a massive role in raising me while my parents were working on their careers. Yeah. And she was also very accessible. She was, you know, five roads away. Okay. That split happened. Just the, the number of things happened. I started swearing for the first time. There were many new experiences for me. I, I'd never really been a, as aware of racial categories as I was when I went to that school because it was a predominantly white school. Yeah. Uh, whereas the school I came from was predominantly colored school. Okay. That's when all of these things started. My place in the social world. My place in. Um, you know, questioning my sexuality, the loss of the, my grandmother, and, and just a number of other things like eating a lot of sweets predominantly and being on the chubby end throughout most of my childhood. Okay. That was now more of an issue than it had been previously. Uh, and then also I went from a small school where I was academically one of the best and sporting-wise, I was playing in the first team when I was in grade five for the grade sevens. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a tiny school. It was like 200 people. Okay. And the school was from grade uh, one to 12. So it was really small. Okay. Whoa. Um, and then I go to this massive school where there's 120 people in my grade. Yeah. Uh, where I'm in the D team for all sports. 
and then all this other stuff is going on that really was a time of of major adjustments and i i remember i went for a brain scan at one point because i was starting to have these kind of hallucinations and there there was a lot of psych, uh, psychological stress that i was going through and wasn't really able to cope and, and okay. kind of resulted in me finding friends who were outcasts and hanging out with them and then over time smoking and drinking and and escaping into sexual fantasy but also escaping in, i mean i loved reading okay. so kind of, probably what i mean i've questioned why i've done english literature you know it exercises the analytical and the mm. fantasy part of my mind but uh, yeah. yeah reading for me as well i loved 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 my mother always used to say that i go into insomnia obsessing If I had a good book you will not see me. I virtually had to be coaxed out of the bedroom with god knows what but mm. I, I I could forget to eat. It was just not important. I, mm. I didn't want to leave that bubble of the fantasy yeah. of the world that that I was in. You came back to South Africa when you came to varsity. Yes. Okay. Interesting story though. I wasn't sure I was going to go to varsity. I wanted to do sound engineering because you can smoke all the weed you want. <laughs> and uh, drink and you had the perfect motivation for your study choice <laughs> yeah no exactly i mean just to backtrack a bit in england you know i started smoking more i became more aggressive i became a nightmare at home eventually my mother was when i admitted to her that i was smoking and i was going to do it it was like i'm smoking and there's nothing you can do about it i think she contacted the school and the school was like look you need to go to the drugs group or you can't stay here Uh, and at the time like I started you need to go to the what drugs group the drugs squad, group squad okay. the drugs group and that was the first time I got introduced to heavier drugs no because <laughs> <laughs> that that's normally what happens no, it was the first time I got introduced to there was a weird I remember okay my friend was chopping up lines right and he was like do you want some and I was like no part of me then knew that if I took that then it was tickets mm and i know that wouldn't have lasted forever but i mean that was for me i think about that as a defining moment for me because i knew then that like there was only like one way yeah i had to say i was offered it once mm. and something in me said no yeah he was chopping up speed and i, and I just know that I would have died. So <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was a god looking after me. My mother always said your guardian angel works overtime. So my guardian angel that day was kind of no, 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 no. So I was so grateful for that. Yeah, me too. Uh, and um, so you know when that was happening, and obviously I spent all the money I had, and I went to family and I borrowed all the money I could, and then you know the dealers at school would give me the stuff on credit. The dealer at school. Yeah, there was one at school. Well, there were several at school. But, but, but okay. Are you was, in a fabulous school? <laughs> the, I mean, the the real the real story is that it was the second best school in the district. Oh my god! The best public. It's the best public school in Oxford. Its final results are better than the private school that I got a scholarship to. Oh right? wow! Which I didn't take because I wanted to smoke weed at the public school <laughs> with all my friends. <laughs> they lent me stuff and then i started to give it to my friends and then try to make money that way but i was smoking all of the shit so <laughs> it didn't work out For, from where i was to where i ended up at the end of school it was just remarkable how like everything and all the decisions that i made were the right decisions at the time in my head ah you know okay yes <laughs> it made complete sense yeah i'm smoking so much my friends smoke I'll sell to them. Yes. 
It, it just makes, makes sense, sense to me. me. <laughs> yeah, it, it should. Um, <laughs> sound business sense. So I go to the one dealer, borrow from him, and then so I could pay back the other dealer. And at the time, uh, regarding my sexuality, I was very much split. So in the day, I'd be doing this, and then in the night, I'd be looking for people online, often looking for men. So I had this persona in the daytime, and I had this persona in the night. Oh, nighttime. my word. And these two people were running concurrently to one another. I mean, I was also high as fuck all the oh. time. <laughs> and if I couldn't get high, I would drink. And I was also making music at the time. So th- there were some good things. Uh, there were some good elements, hence the sound engineering. Okay. Um, and, I mean, my friends, the people that I was making music with, they're not doing pretty well uh, in the UK. But uh, that was kind of, that was my life during that time. So a lot of online... Uh, sex seeking and the first time that I had sex was with somebody who I met through online okay I mean at the time I was just driven by the desire to have sex Uh, looking back on it now I mean a number of terrible things could have happened yeah and I was fortunate that the person that I met online was also looking for uh, a meeting with somebody so again, your guardian angel was working overtime. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, there's just so many yeah. horror stories. The fact that I haven't been mugged, arrested or whatever is just an absolute miracle. But it's just like one of those examples for me where all my thinking was clouded by my desire to get high. Yeah, exactly. Nothing else mattered. The risk was also nice. Like, I, I like... I like risk. All of that was, it was a life, uh, for me, it was, it was secrecy. It was, it was just resentment against mostly my family, but it was misdirected. It was just yeah. me and being uncomfortable with me. It was very uncomfortable, yet projected a sense of security. And, and, and it sounds as if you did quite well academically. I did. So through all the smoking, the online seeking, the music making, the sport playing, when the fuck did you study? I didn't. I chose, and you still did well at I school. I chose subjects that I was intuitively okay. uh, capable at. I didn't take any science subjects. I didn't take any subjects where I thought that I had to do a lot of work, but more so where I thought that I couldn't succeed. Okay. So, so much of my motivation for taking English and for taking it at a university level was I was fearful of doing things that I couldn't succeed at, so I chose English and uh, philosophy. Those were my two majors. I love the subjects. Okay. Uh, but definitely part of the motivations for doing that was I had a, uh, I was a, I was a adept at them at some level. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a while ago I was contemplating doing a further degree and I got my study record from Ra. Yeah. And um, I looked at this and there were subjects that I couldn't remember having yeah. taken. <laughs> not, not just contents of subjects, subjects. Like, oh my God. I can't remember having done philosophy at varsity. So then one day my husband said to me, what did you do in philosophy? I could not remember one thing. Yeah. I remember that we went for a Sunday night bribe to the lecturer once. It's very important. That's it. Now you come back to South Africa to study and you are not, so you're not religious, but being into philosophy, mm-hmm. was there a part of spirituality? Mm, I'm leaving out a, a fairly large chunk in England when I was high, I would read the Quran. I would oh read God. the Bible. I was constantly looking for a way to stop feeling both in terms of sexuality and also in terms of just the dread that comes with 
getting up every day and 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 wanting to use and that's it so looking for some form of meaning some form of guidance so the drugs group that i went to the man there was a member of na okay took me to an na meeting i went very high never went back he then took me to a sweat lodge there are many different native american groups but broadly speaking one of the spiritual practices that people have taken from their traditions and taken across the world is this idea of going to sit in a tent with hot rocks and putting water in it and then just kind of sweet the sweating out and i mean there, there are other elements of the practice that are i can't remember okay. but it included sharing okay <laughs> you know? if i wasn't smoking i was drinking okay. if i was drinking i was smoking that is a combination but i was constantly looking for some sort of spiritual path i guess and and i used to get high and and, and think that i was communicating with some okay uh, spiritual essence or whatever. Well, I was constantly looking for that. I mean, maybe there, I do think that parts of it fulfilled that need. Okay. For some period of time, but obviously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not sustainable. So I was looking for a spiritual path, and when I came here to South Africa again, I I didn't smoke as much, but I drank a lot more. Okay. Um, and I was uh, coming to a, a point where. My parents didn't want me at home. I felt every time that I was getting high that maybe this would be the time that I would finally hear things and hear voices and lose my mind so I could have the courage to take my life. Like that's, oh, okay. that's where my mind was at. And one day I remember I got up and I said I wasn't going to use and then it was like 15 minutes later and I was high and I was just like... <laughs> that sounds so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Day? No, yeah, no, not yeah, fucking yeah. tomorrow. You know, whether I was happy, whether I was sad, whether it was sunny, whether it was raining, mm. doesn't matter. So I got, I asked my father to come get me, and I was just like, I need help. I so there's no first year varsity, second year, first year, first year varsity. Yeah, so I also I hung out with the Hari Krishnas that year in the <laughs> beginning of the year, and uh, also I did ancient Greek. I failed the course, obviously. <laughs> Because you had to learn for it. And, uh, <laughs> but I did ancient Greek with the intention of reading the Bible in its original oh, form. Oh, I would. So you were definitely searching. Absolutely. So you ended up with a head full of knowledge. Yes, absolutely. But with a heart not connecting with it? I mean, I wouldn't even say the sieve of my brain was full of knowledge <laughs> at that time. But I definitely had read some things and thought I knew more than I knew. Okay. And even that was disconnected from how I felt. Because I, I felt dread most of the time. Yeah. I felt desperation. I was ruled by my need to satisfy whatever obsession I had. Yes. You know, I was ruled by resentment. I was ruled by fear. I was ruled by guilt. I was ruled by shame. Most of my actions were determined by by those uh, uh, emotions, those okay. feelings. Yeah. So in your first year, you got help for the yes. drug problem? Yes, yes, yes. Were you a treatment baby or did you disconnect with NA? Or? Uh, I connected with NA. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, wow. I refused to go to treatment. I was like, they're real drug addicts there. <laughs> you know, I don't want to catch something. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> and I mean, I intended to stop for a while. Did not intend okay. to stop. Full stop. Okay. It is only through getting a sponsor and working steps that I realized just how 
I mean, just how powerless I was. How fucked up things were. I just were. what powerless was. Like, yeah. I, I didn't. I heard it's like I'm powerless over. I'm like, uh, uh, I don't. I don't get that. A disease, like I mean, come on, my family are doctors. Like I know, <laughs> I know what a fucking disease is. Yeah. You know, uh, and the religious language threw me because I mean, while I was looking for some spiritual path, I wasn't I wasn't wedded to Christianity anymore. Okay. I'd left that. That had sailed uh, a while before. Yeah. I think what really helped me see just how fucked I was was uh, a good sponsor, somebody who. You also smoked a lot, smoked weed primarily, and um, very similar backgrounds. You know, very very similar okay. backgrounds. Oh, excellent! Yeah. So that classic one addict helping another. Yeah. That absolute identification. Yeah. Be- between the between two people. And it comes back to what I was saying earlier about talking to people twice my age and being you need to go speak to somebody else yeah. about this issue because I don't have that experience and I can't I can't yeah. help you with. The solutions that I I used absolutely. You're all we ever had is our own experience, strength, and hope. Yeah. Now you enter a twelve-step program and you read step two and you read step three and did the God thing freak you out or did you connect with the of your understanding or what happened? I had to park my suspicions. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love the way you say that. I had to park my suspicions. Love I had it. to leave them in the parking lot, go into the meeting, and then come out. Okay. And in many ways, I suspend my disbelief okay. uh, when it comes to any of the God steps. Because my, this is just me, it's hard for me not to read 12-step literature in different fellowships and not see uh, the core influences of the monotheistic faith, namely Christianity. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea of character defects, for example, roughly translates to the seven deadly sins. Um, I had a sponsor once who said to me, my second NA sponsor, he said to me, okay, so let's do step six and seven. I want you to categorize your character defects into the seven deadly sins. And I kind of, what? Yeah. I, it was just, I felt sick when I started doing it. Yeah. And I did it because my sponsor said I had to do it. And yes. it was a very good exercise and I got a lot yeah. out of it, but yeah. not again. <laughs> yeah, thank so, you very much. I mean, the the religious undertones of the fellowships depend upon the meetings, the people in the meetings. Mm. So my first round of steps was using the big book, and the big book is very Christian. Yeah, and when people say uh, you can kind of maneuver your way around the the Christian aspect, or at least the monotheistic aspect, yeah. or the you have to subscribe on some level to a belief in a power greater than yourself, because no human power can remove exactly you know that third. Yeah. Uh, they have those three things three pertinent ideas that no human power could reveal etc etc okay so no human power um, for me I did those steps first and uh, I mean I've always struggled with that for me the group has helped me my experiences have helped me like in terms of having a powerful sense of being unburdened like just letting go of all the emotional baggage that yeah. I was carrying, right? Just what an amazing thing. That uh, it, I, those experiences are so powerful for me. I don't attribute them to kind of a deity. So when this, uh, I attribute it to the, to the process of meeting with people and the identification and being honest and applying these principles. I think there's something very real about the principles. Like if you don't tell lies, you, <laughs> your life doesn't become complicated. Yes. <laughs> 
very straightforward. <laughs> that was possibly one of the most amazing feelings. Starting to speak the truth yeah. and not having to remember what you said to whom. Yeah. The amount of mind space lies took up. I never realized that. Yeah. Just that I never realized how much mind space fantasy took up in my head. Yeah. The day that I started doing complete abstinence, I was going to freak out what was going on in my head. There was a mm. space, there was this time that I didn't know how to fill. Yeah. It was freaky. Yeah. I did some research on the 12 steps for the second book that I'm busy writing. Mm. And a while ago, not too long ago, now I can't remember, but they auctioned Bill W's original notes mm. on the big book. Yeah. And the feedback, the, the notes that the people made. And he was going straight forward for the God concept. Yes. And it was thanks to the other fellows who said that he's going to alienate so many people mm. that they convinced him to bring in the of your understanding part. Yeah. And that, that as, as you understand it, part saved my life. Mm. So thank God to those people who had that yeah. foresight. Or I would, I would have been fucked. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think there was definitely, because I was broken inside and I yeah. felt fragmented, you know, people talk about the gift of desperation, God. It um, it definitely helps me. It's <laughs> like <laughs> it never dawned on me. Yeah, I, I heard it a while ago, and and then how could that not have clicked yet? Yeah, gift of desperation. <laughs> okay, well, this is now what you call uh, call uh, an aha adeptness. Yeah, but I mean, even in that acronym, you see people struggling with the idea of God, right? Gift of desperation. Yeah. No, I mean, the joke is no one finds God when they won the lottery and you know, they, <laughs> yeah. everything's going great. Well, very yeah. few people. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, again, like, I'm, I, uh, I'm not, not anti-religious insofar as I, th- I'm working with people in the 12 steps that have a very firm concept. Yeah. Of, of what God means to them. A religious concept. And it's fine. If it works for you, then you can use it. Absolutely. Um, but I, I recently went to a secular AA meeting. I don't know if you've heard about secular AA. No. I'm not here to evangelize because I, I went to one meeting and uh, I found it a bit strange. <laughs> Just because it was unfamiliar, it was fairly unstructured, and so it didn't have all the rituals that uh, uh, the average meeting has. Okay. In terms of reading specific passages. Yeah you know, uh, saying the serenity prayer. It didn't say the serenity prayer. Uh, um, and apparently the secular AA movement is quite big uh, okay. over uh, over the world. Um, but So do we have one of those in Cape Town? There's one in Cape Town. Uh, there's one in, there's two in Joburg. Uh, one just opened in Soweto. So the movement is seems to be gaining some traction. Okay. I was listening to a secular Buddhist podcast and the person was interviewing a, a man who does Buddhist approach to the 12 steps so so okay. without um a belief in uh, god okay. right as, as like an entity so it seems like there are many people who are taking the 12 step model and removing the god out of the model yeah. so obviously I, i've been doing a lot of research and looking at this god thing and for me i also ha- i have to it has to be authentic for me a lot of recovery for me and a lot of the 12 step fellowship is about learning to be myself and matching my values with my outside so talking about honesty earlier at work at the moment there are a lot of political games being played and I have to be true to myself yeah even if the games being played 
are testing my allegiances to my supervisor or you know it's okay yeah so standing integrity ah uh, yeah oh. it, it sucks <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so much easier to lie and manipulate yeah. than to actually stand in integrity. No, I mean, eventually just catches up. Yeah. I guess that's what I learned through this process. Just how much lying uh, led me to using and led me to acting out. Mm. But, I mean, yeah, on the guard question, it did freak me out. And um, I tried to make as much accommodation for people in my life who believe in God and don't believe in God. But, I mean, there's certain things I just can't get on board with. Yeah. Like when you say that an earthquake happened because the people were sinning there. I'm like, I just can't get on board with that belief. <laughs> Definitely you not. Know? Yeah. As things stand today, what would you say you believe in? What, what is Rowan's sense of spirit? My relationships with people. Okay. Connection. And, yeah. And I definitely, I find uh, when I meditate, my sense of belonging in the world is, is is not constantly threatened. Okay, so you're you're a regular meditator. I would lie to you if I said I'm a regular. Meditator. <laughs> and seeing that you're talking about honesty and integrity, you can't. <laughs> yes, um, I meditate infrequently. I spend a lot of time focusing on my breathing um, and just centering myself. I consider that kind of a form of meditation. Yeah. I spend enough time doing martial arts, which I find really help clear my mind. Okay. And also there's something about them that limits my ability to think because I have to be there. Okay. You know. Which form of martial art do you do? I started doing Tai Chi five years ago. Okay. I did that for two and a half years. I also, when I, you know, from about 16, I became really interested in, in martial arts. But recently, it was a Tai Chi. Then I did Muay Thai for a while, for about a year, and I'm doing Jiu-Jitsu at the moment. There's just like an hour a day where I get to go and switch off and be there and learn and yeah. exercise. So there you truly have to be present. Yeah, I, otherwise hours. you get hit so, in the face. Yeah. <laughs> But not, not being present can really hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's definitely a form of, of, of meditation. It's yeah. bringing you in this moment, centered. Yeah. yeah. Not, not, not a hell of a difference between meditation and that. I mean, where my spirit lies is, I, I do think that when it comes to, for me, anything spiritual, it needs to, to, to be something tangible or practical, not tangible necessarily. Um, and so talking to another person about what's going on for me in my mind writing down whatever I'm struggling with, if it's according to a set questions or yeah. if it's just like free writing yeah. and then talking to somebody about it are very practical and tangible things that have helped me okay. and continue to help me. And also talking to other people about experiences I've had that they're going through yes. and how, how I've navigated that. And also all the mistakes that I've made and continue to make. Those, to me, are the core practices of, of what I consider my spiritual life. Awesome. Yeah. And music? Is that still part of your life? Fear is inhibiting <laughs> <laughs> my, my creative spirit coming out. But uh, I'm, gonna go, I'm, re- I'm going to go... I'm going to the UK soon, so hopefully... Oh, yes, you're going next week. Uh, is it next week? It could be next week. Yeah. What's the date today? 11th. Uh, so the week after next. Okay. Hopefully that... Seeing my friends and being there, 
you know, will connect you to that. Puts me back into that environment. Awesome. Yeah. Because yeah. what did you do music-wise? Did you play or did you write electronic? I um, grew up playing the piano okay. and singing, but the music that we made was uh, hip-hop music. So I would write, rap, and then sing as well. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. The gift of the inspiration will not be happy for you hiding the talent. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I can't stand it when, I, when people have musical talents and they're not using it. Yeah. Because my whole heart, I would love to be musical. <laughs> yeah. I would love to be able to sing and I can't do that stuff. Yeah. And it freaks me out if people can do it and they don't. I mean... The, the so it's all about me. Start yeah. doing your music again. I'll do it for you. <laughs> Make me happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just also the last... I mean, what I found is that because I'm not being ruled by resentment and fear, except for music, and guilt and shame so much, so so many opportunities are open up for me to engage with people, engage with things like my studies, and my focus has just turned elsewhere. Yeah. Um, because a lot of my music making was invested in a, a lifestyle of using. Yeah. A lifestyle of looking a certain way, okay. of being hyper-masculine, of being the main guy. And because I'm not invested in that now, I'm struggling to figure out what it is that I, I want to put into it because okay. I, I don't just want to do it for the sake of doing it. It, yes. it doesn't ring true for me right now. Um, the input that I want to give to it. I'm working on practicing again, the craft, and then seeing where that takes okay. me. You know what freaks me out is, as you can see, I work from home. Mm. There's no music playing in the background. So my days are relatively quiet, except right. for the outside noises. But when I'm in the car, which I don't travel a lot because I work from home. So I don't hear a lot of music. So, mm. But when I'm in the car, I'm on KFM. Okay. And I'm very happy that, that, I, that I don't hear a lot of music because music, frankly, freaks me out. Lyrics like... Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. I love you because you're beautiful. Have you listened to the lyrics of music? The, the falseness that being created, it freaks me out. Okay, I am double your age, but music videos. Since when do we have to get naked to be able to sing? When did that happen? The 90s, <laughs> probably. Although, I mean, if you think about Madonna uh, as, a, as a cultural icon, like schoolgirl aesthetic <laughs> it's fair it's not that recent yeah I don't know maybe I'm just uh, maybe I, I'm not sure but I am very selective about what I listen to okay I'm also very selective about what I watch because I mean there's so many series that are their audience trades on they their bloodlust really their bloodlust and lust yeah just sex it's basically porn and blood yes uh, so I'm very selective about what I watch and what I listen to yeah I don't listen to radio for instance okay mostly podcasts some music sometimes I listen to uh, Meet Me in the Field oh uh, cool I don't know if you've heard that's about a very it. nice one I yeah, heard yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I hear it's moving up the charts at a rapid speed <laughs> yeah <laughs> selling your podcast on the podcast okay um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very selective about what I listen okay. to. And we, the way I look at it is, if we're dealing with authenticity yeah. and integrity, yeah. then there's a lot out there that doesn't fit yes. into that, that, that spectrum of, of, of our lives yeah. or the life that I want for myself, yeah. which means I have to disregard a lot. 
Mm. Once that book is finished that I'm busy writing at the moment, which might just be this week, nice. might just be this week, is um, I actually want to take a, a week of listening to music and mm. recording the lyrics mm. that I found a feeds, bad body image, addiction, um, obsessive thinking, codependence. Every single fucking second song begs of you to be codependent. We are breeding a nation of fuck-ups. <laughs> On the one hand, I should be grateful because that feeds my business. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to write yeah, that part. <laughs> I mean, you've got good motivation. Yes, good motivation. For not doing it. Yes. But it really freaks me out. I, I feel so sorry for... For your generation of people, I think it's so much more difficult to be authentic now with media and, and everything out there. And it frankly scares me a lot of music lyrics I hear, a lot of the advertisements I see. Yeah. It really, it really scares me. It's kind of, I'm so, so grateful that I'm at a phase where I don't have to be influenced by those. Yeah. And I mean, your choice not to be influenced by them is becoming increasingly more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have television, for instance. You can hear there's no music playing in the house. Academia seems to allow for isolation. It always is a shock at how when I get out of the house or I get out of uh, working and I meet people, I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like to, to talk to people. <laughs> I can go days on end without talking to people just because, not just because I'm doing the work. Yeah. You know? But working on your master's thesis also must have kept you in your head a lot. It does. And look, even the discussion we've had now, a lot of my, uh, be, my a lot of my ability to park my suspicions about God or, or the experience, it's filtered through. It's filtered through this constant thinking about. Mm. I, I, my biggest struggle is is probably when it comes to my spiritual practices, is um, just trying to take that sense of being present yeah. into my daily life. But I, I'm I get I'm getting better at it. Practice makes perfect. I'm getting better at it. it what, what's great about taking inventory about how things are going is that I, I really know what periods, what journeys, and which spaces in my life are going to be the most difficult to navigate. Okay. Um, so I know when I go to a board meeting, there's I'm going to have to deal with people that irritate me. Yeah. Whereas when I'm at home, I'm going to have to deal with maybe um, activities that are irritating me because I'm trying to concentrate or whatever yeah. it is. Um, or if I go to a classroom, I know that I'm going to have to field people's questions or, or, or maybe acknowledge my limitations as a, as a scholar because yeah. I can't possibly know everything. Mm. It's very much, my life is very structured. And so it helps a lot in terms yeah. of my spirit. I, I very much feel my my spiritual life is is real in a sense that it, it's all about the practices that I do every yeah. day. But there's one thing that keeps me sane as well is it, it freaks my husband out because even though I work at home, yeah, I'm at my desk at nine. Yeah, I have tea at eleven. Yeah, I have lunch at one. Yeah, I I, I follow a very strict routine. Yeah, and trying to finish a book, I also allocate a certain time of day for writing. Yeah, but Rowan, this was really. Absolutely wonderful. I really, really appreciate this. Cool. That's the thing I enjoy about Meet Me in the Field mm. is every person has his story. Yeah. And I just 
find it so lovely to sit down and to put that story into a context of something which which I use spirituality yeah. as the context that I use to, to talk to people. Mm. But I really loved loved chatting to you. Thank you so very much. Yeah. Something I forgot to ask you, which which came up a lot, was are you the only child? I'm not. Okay. I have um, a brother, younger brother, who in many respects is just far far better than I am. <laughs> and I'm very, I've spent a lot of time working through that jealousy. Okay. Uh, today we have a fantastic relation. Oh, cool. Yeah. How much younger is he? Four years. Four years. Three okay. years and ten months. So is he studying at the moment as well? He is. Cool. To be adopted. Oh, God. You see what I'm dealing <laughs> yes, with? Yes. No. I resentment. Uh, this guy. There's no doubt in my mind that you could have become one, one, one as well if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, no, I'm and sure. I always say that I know that if I put my mind to something, I can reach it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people who don't prefer to put my mind to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm very limited to where I put my mind to. I mean, there's, there's still hope though. When, when, the, when World War III comes around, <laughs> they'll need people, they'll need medics. You know, I'll be a doctor. Uh, it will work out. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, this was lovely. Have a wonderful day. Cool. Thanks, Freddie. We had a few great laughs during our chat. I always say that I truly believe that we do not get clean and sober to sit in a dark room and be clean and sober. We are meant to live life and enjoy it while we are at it. Rowan is a shining example of how living clean allows us to strive towards goals and get to experience life. It is fun to hear how he searched for a sense of belonging and meaning in life, but how he found it when he asked for help and stopped searching. Sometimes we just have to stop seeking and allow what we are supposed to have to catch up with us. I want to congratulate Rowan on obtaining his master's degree. He must have received his results by now and I wish him all of the best on his quest to obtain his PhD in English. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com freddy.org.za, or on Twitter at, at @rensburgfreddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelled with an IE at the end. I want to thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.